this morning is from Luke chapter 19. If you'd like to take your Bible out or your device um, and read along and the words will also be on the screen. Luke chapter 19 and we're looking at verses 11 to 27. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your minna has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your minna has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then? Didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take this minute away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minutes. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine did not want me to be king over them. Bring them here and kill them in front of me. Amen. Thanks, Judy, and thank you for your welcome of me this morning. I believe time is ticking a bit, so how about we pray and let's get into this passage. Father God, we thank you that we can gather as your people under your word. We know that your word speaks to us through your word. You speak to us, your goodness, your love, your faithfulness, and you tell us how to live for you in response to your grace to us in Christ. So, God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would open our eyes, our ears to your word, and that you would use your word to challenge us and encourage us and help us to continue to live for Jesus. We pray these things for your glory in his name. Amen. Now, if you look back uh, over the past six or so months, I think you'll find yourself in either one of these two groups. The first group, or for you, COVID's been a time of pause. You're relaxing at home, you're sleeping in because you're working from home, you're maximizing the afternoon naps, you're hitting the Netflix, the Disney+, Plus, the Amazon, the YouTube, whatever it is. Uh, Some of you are chilling on the beach uh, with appropriate social distancing, of course, remember that. Uh, Some of us have gained that extra shirt size, and some of us are doing as little as possible. Maybe you're in that group, or maybe you're in the second group. COVID's been a time of productivity. 
getting into that backyard project, that do-it-yourself home, reno that you've been wanting to do for years, reading that book that you've been meaning to get to, following that exercise routine, getting into that new hobby, learning a new skill, getting some study under your belt. Maybe you found yourself in uh, both of those groups in various times, maybe one more than the other. I've definitely experienced being in both groups. I've done the Netflix splurge uh, with, while I was on two weeks quarantine uh, after rushing home from Japan in March. I've done the growing grass, the backyard. I grew grass from a dirt patch in my backyard. And if you know me, I'm not a green thumb at all. I cleaned the garage. I built a shelf system in it. Uh, I've learned how to smoke meat. I'm not sure if that's being on pause or being productive. Uh, we went through, me and Angela, an exercise routine phase. Not sure if it helped. And I've definitely taken advantage of the work from home arrangement. Pause or productive? You see, COVID's really brought out these two groups of people, life on pause or being as productive as you can be. Well, as we come to this parable in Luke today, it brings out two types of followers of Jesus. People on pause. People who are doing as little as possible, not being productive, not making good use of their time or opportunities, who are even making excuses for their lack of action. And then there's productive people, people who are making good use of their time, opportunities, who are being faithful servants, who are getting stuck into the mission that Jesus has left us. And this is what we're going to tease out as we work through these verses this morning. I know you've been going through uh, Luke and parables, and we come to another parable here. But just to remind all of us once more, a parable is a short story. It's a pithy, witty, throwaway story. And it's used to make one point, one truth, one challenge. It's not supposed to be overanalyzed uh, to tease out every single little detail. It's a one-point story. And you often have to look at the context, too, to see why the parable is being told. And the context here in Luke 19, it follows on, if you look before, from the famous story of Zacchaeus and the sycamore tree. And Jesus, he's on the way to Jerusalem. And in the chapters leading up to this, this has been emphasized over and over again, leading to Jerusalem. And the expectation here is growing for Jesus, for him to enter Jerusalem, to claim his kingdom, to kick out the Romans. And we get clues pointing to this in verse 11, if you have your Bibles. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. If you flick ahead, uh, this is the last scene before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. So in response to the expectations of the coming kingdom and Jesus nearing to Jerusalem, Jesus, he tells this parable. And we're going to explore this parable. We're going to look at some of the difficulties in this parable. We'll zoom into that main point, and we're going to see what it means for us today. We can get this to work. I wonder if you remember when you were entrusted with something to do. Maybe it was to water the plants, to take the bin out, 
uh, to feed the kids, to pick up the milk, to take out the meat from the freezer to defrost. It happens all the time in life. Big things, small things that you're entrusted with to do. One of the most tense moments uh, in our marriage, me and Angela, over the past few months was when I was going out to a meeting one night and I told Angela, uh, can you take the beef brisket out of the freezer? It's our dinner tomorrow night with guests. Not only did I tell her on the way out of the door, I also called her. I texted her during the meeting, don't tell anyone, reminding her to take out the meat. But lo and behold, it was the next morning. I was getting the Weber ready to go for the smoke, and there was no brisket on the sink to defrost. You see, we entrust certain things to people, and there's an expectation, isn't there, to do it, to follow through, to be productive. And this is what the first scene here in this parable is. And there's three things here to know. First, it's in verse 12. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. You see, the story is centered around this noble guy. He leaves, he gets appointed king, and then he will return as king. And just to keep in your heads that the people here thought Jesus would enter Jerusalem and become king, and that's the end of it all. Second thing to know, verse 13. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. He calls his servants, this noble guy, gives them one miner each. That's worth about three months' wages. Not a huge amount of money, but enough to make good use of. And he entrusts them with a task to do business with the money, to make it work, to be productive, to make a profit when he returns. And the final detail here is in verse 14. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to become our king. The citizens here in the story, they hated this nobleman. They hated him so much that they protested him becoming king. It's similar to what happened in Jewish history. Son of Herod the Great, Archelaus, he became king over Judea. And the Jews, they hated him. They hated him so much, they sent a delegation of 50 Jews from Jerusalem to Rome to protest his kingship. The Jews, they knew all about this. And just to keep in your heads again, similar again to the Jews and their treatment of Jesus, not wanting him to become king, rejecting his rule, protesting his kingship, as we'll see later on if you keep following Luke. Now we come to the second part of the parable, and we find the resolution of these three points. First, it's in verse 15. He was made king, however, and returned home. Here we see the nobleman, he returns as king, Despite the delegation, the protests, the haters, and the new king, he comes back, he returns to his kingdom. Second thing, beginning in verse 15 too. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. You see, it's time for the servants to show their results 
of their productivity, their business. And the first servant steps up. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy or faithful in a small matter. Take charge of ten cities. See, this guy, he's been productive, thousand percent profit. He's the guy you want to employ, and he's labeled a good servant, trustworthy. He's commended, he's rewarded accordingly. Rule, being entrusted with and given responsibility even over cities. Then the second servant steps up. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. He's also been productive, and he's likewise commended, implied by the reward again given to him. And now we get to the third servant. We don't really hear about the other seven because three is enough in the story to make the point. And it's in verse 20. Then another servant came and said, Sir, your miner, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. You see this third servant, the third guy, he didn't do what he was told. He didn't do business. He wasn't productive. He didn't make a profit. He didn't bear any fruit. He didn't even look after his coin. He didn't bury it in the ground, which was the practice of storing treasures and treasured items back then. He just wrapped it in his napkin. And his reason here for doing nothing, he either fears the citizens who saw the king as harsh, or he's just using it as an excuse to do nothing. And he's using this quote, you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. It's a proverb back in that time for taking from others what he did not work for, which ironically, if you read this parable, is untrue because it's the king, remember, who entrusts them with his coins. And it's the king who we've just seen who rewards his servants, as we've just seen. Either way, the third servant, he's seen as unfaithful, unproductive, and careless. And he's condemned in verse 22. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You wicked servant, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I come back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has 10 miners. You see, this servant, he's labeled not as trustworthy, not as passable, but wicked, evil. He didn't even do the bare minimum, putting the coin in the bank to be productive by interest, the safest, the easiest way to be in profit. And the miner, the coin, it's taken away from him. It's given to the most productive servant, the one who's trustworthy to be profitable. You see, this third servant, he's condemned, unfaithful, unproductive, careless, and therefore wicked. And this brings us to a summary 
of the parable from verse 25. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Some think verse 25 uh, is the crowd around Jesus talking and interjecting, but others, including me, think that it's the audience, it's still in the parable. And then some think verse 26 is uh, Jesus replying to the crowd, but again, others, including me, we think that's the king in the parable. But either way, Jesus, he's making his point here through the parable. And the point is that the one who has who's productive, who makes good use of what's entrusted to him. He's the one Jesus is looking for. He's the one that Jesus rewards. And the one who has not, who isn't productive, who doesn't make use of what's entrusted to him, he's the one that Jesus condemns, judges who Jesus takes away from. And finally, we get to the third thing, verse 27. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. It's often an overlooked verse. I can't remember having it preached to me ever before. John Piper calls it one of the most horrifying verses in the Gospels. Some have used this verse, unfortunately, with an anti-Semitic push, and most people just ignore it and keep going. But here it shows the fate of the king's enemies. The ones in verse 14 who hate the king, who rebel against the king, who even protest the king's rule. And the parable shows them judged, destroyed, made a public spectacle, done away with. And while not the point of this parable, it's a powerful and a sobering message to the enemies of Jesus, to those who reject God's coming kingdom, God will defeat the enemies of his king. Now that we've gone through the content of this parable, but before we get to tease out the main point and what it means for us, there are some difficulties people have with this passage, this parable, and I want to show you three of them and guide us through thinking about them. The first is that that there is a similar parable of this in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. Some think it's the same parable, but whether they're based on the same parable or not, the details are noticeably different if you look between the two. And the point Jesus is making in Matthew's context is actually different in Luke's context. So we don't have to worry about Matthew's parable when reading this one in Luke. The second difficulty is uh, the intended meaning of the parable. Most commentators read uh, this parable the way that I've just gone through it. Jesus, he's nearing Jerusalem. He's responding to these expectations that Jesus will claim his kingship and kick out the Romans when he gets there. And the parable is about making good use of what's entrusted to you noting that Jesus, he will depart for a little while and then return as king. But some commentators see this parable as contrasting the harsh, hardline, profiteering king with Jesus, who, if you look in the next few verses, 
he'll be seen as this humble servant king entering Jerusalem on a donkey. But I think if this was the point, why would Jesus put so much unnecessary detail into this parable? But the third and probably the most debated difficulty is the fate of this third servant. Is he saved with his rewards taken away, like the one who's saved as escaping through the flames? Or is this third servant judged and done away with, just like God's enemies, seen as an unbeliever? Well, I think the, bas- the passage shows uh, this third servant uh, labeled as wicked, evil. He sees the king as harsh and unjust. His actions don't align with the king, and he's condemned, not rewarded. And this is a picture of someone who doesn't love the king, this third servant. He isn't in a right relationship with the king. He was found out not aligned with the king at all. So I think the third servant, he's judged, could be treated as an enemy, and he's outside of the kingdom. You see, there's only two groups here, people living faithfully, productively for the king, and people who are not living for the king at all. You see, in this parable, there's no middle ground. There's no neutral position. So what's this parable all about? Well, I've tried really hard to stay uh, within the parable so far. I've come out of it a bit. But why is Jesus saying this? What does Jesus want his disciples to get from this? What does God want us today to learn from this? Well, Jesus, he's telling his disciples that Jesus, he isn't going to be king immediately. It's not when he gets to Jerusalem, but in fact, he will depart for a little while, and then he will return as king. And this parable, it teaches the disciples and us today that Jesus is indeed returning as king. And in the meantime, in this now but not yet time, his servants, his disciples, his followers are to be marked by spiritual faithfulness, being productive, making good use of all God has entrusted us with as we serve God's kingdom. Or in other words, followers of Jesus, Christians, believers, we're to be faithful and productive in God's business. We need to serve his kingdom, making good use of all God has entrusted us with. And it's not just the pastors, the elders, the passionate, the skilled, the ones with more time on their hands. It's all followers of Jesus are to be marked by productivity and faithfulness in God's kingdom work. But just like COVID, we find ourselves, don't we, in one or two groups. We're productive or we're on pause. And God says that his people are to be marked by faithfulness, productivity, continually serving him, making a spiritual profit, bearing fruit. So what does that mean for us? Well, as we apply this parable for us today, there's five things for us to know from Luke 19. Point one, God graciously allows us to work with him. It'd be really easy for all of us to leave today thinking that it's just another to-do moralistic parable. 
be productive, earn merit salvation. But here we see that the king, he's the one who takes initiative. He's the one who graciously allows his servants to join in his work. It's not earned, it's not merited. And it's just like God, he takes initiative. He acts by grace, saving us in Christ as we've sung this morning and allowing us to work with him entrusting us with his kingdom work. It's something that we can miss so easily, but we have to remind ourselves that God graciously allows us to work with him, and we get to be part of his kingdom work. Point two, God's king is returning. We're all waiting for, in hope for a COVID vaccine, we're looking forward to it, we're hoping things will return to normal or a new normal soon. We're all waiting for the borders to open, international travel to come back, restrictions to ease, so that we can even handshake each other and hug and high-five each other, and we're waiting for all that to be back for most of us. But we should be waiting and expecting all the more, all the more, for Jesus to return in glory. We sung about it before too. Remember how the Bible ends. Revelation 22, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, is something that we're looking toward. Is this something that we're looking toward? Is this something that we're living in light of, being productive and profitable for, making good use of all we have for? Is this what we orient our lives around. Francis Chan says, true faith means holding nothing back. It bets everything on the hope of eternity. What might you do differently today to live in light of eternity, to live in light of Jesus returning in glory? What would you stop? What would you do more of? What might you focus less on? What might you give more time to? What would you be more bold in? What might you see as a distraction? God's king is returning. Point three, King Jesus requires faithfulness in his people. A faithfulness seen in productivity on Jesus' own words in John 15, bearing fruit. You see, that's what it looks like to live in light of Jesus returning. To be like the first two servants, working hard for Jesus, being productive, making good use of what Jesus has entrusted us with, whether it be resources, time, or opportunities. So what does a productive follower of Jesus look like? Well, I think, I think he's growing in godliness. She's killing sin in her life. He's committed to God's people. She's loving those around who are lost He's involved in serving in the church. She's telling people more about Jesus. He's reading the Bible with both believers and non-believers. I think your mission statement sums it up really well. Working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. So someone asked you today, what does your productivity, your faithfulness to Jesus look like? How have you been productive this COVID season in following Jesus? How about the past year? How have you been productive? How would you respond today? Think about your answer. 
What are the tangible ways that you have been productive as a follower of Jesus? And maybe if you draw some blanks today, maybe you've been on pause for a while, maybe it's time to focus and reflect on how God wants you to be faithful and productive as a follower of Jesus. Maybe you need to pray and repent to God for not living for Jesus and ask God to show you how you can live in response to God's grace in Jesus and live in light of Jesus returning in glory. This is a big thing to reflect on if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today because there's only two groups here, the faithful and the productive who are commended, rewarded, and rule with Jesus on the last day. And then there's the unfaithful who are seen as wicked, condemned, and judged, and ultimately found outside God's kingdom, not in a relationship with King Jesus, left with nothing on the day of judgment. You see, calling yourself a Christian, but living a life refusing to serve Jesus, putting living for Jesus on pause, not being productive or bearing fruit. Even if you're saying, I made a decision 20 years ago, I'm just too busy with life at the moment. I've done my heavy lifting for years and it's time for me to relax. That's not what followers of Jesus looks like. That's not what Jesus calls his people to do. And Jesus, he warns us here that these people, the unproductive, the unfaithful, they're condemned and judged. Effectively the same fate as enemies of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, God is showing us the serious consequences of lazy Christianity. Finally, last point. Jesus gives the horrific future of his enemies and what they face here. Those who reject the king, who deny his rule and refuse to take up his good news of salvation, these enemies of Jesus will be destroyed. They have no future in eternity. They will be judged and face God's righteous wrath. People don't like talking about this. They deny that God is angry at sin, at those who reject him. They deny that there's even a hell, that people will be judged and face eternal death without Jesus. But it's real. You see, the cross, the gospel, Jesus, is only good news because there's bad news first, that without Jesus we're enemies of God facing death. And it's a reminder to take our following of Jesus seriously, to be productive, to be faithful, to actually follow Jesus in word and deed, because enemies of Jesus will be destroyed. So as we finish off this morning, as we come out of COVID, as our lives gradually settle to a new normal, as you relearn your day-to-day life, as you refocus your priorities and your goals looking ahead, it's a great time to reflect on this parable and to let the story from Jesus challenge you today. Are you a productive follower of Jesus, a faithful servant, making good use of all God's entrusted to you, whether it's time, resources, relationships, or opportunities, busy for Jesus and his kingdom work? And how can you be productive 
How can you be a productive follower of Jesus, living in response to God's grace in Jesus and living in light of King Jesus returning in glory? Let's pray to this end. Father God, you call us to be followers of Jesus who are actively living for you, being productive, being faithful servants, making good use of all you give us for the glory of your Son and our King, Jesus Christ. Lord God, please forgive us for the times we are on pause instead of being productive. And please ignite our heads, our hearts, and our hands to be productive in serving our King, working with you as you transform us and others into passionate followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thanks, Pastor Josh. There's lots for us to think through. Our service has come to an end and concluding. I want to read to you from Peter and then pray and then invite you to sit and reflect on what Josh has challenged us with and then after a few minutes to exit through these doors. If you've come prepared for an offering, the offering box is at that door there or in the office window. Hear the words of Peter. Each of you should use whatever you have received to serve others as faithful 